As I'm sure you're well aware, this is Labor Day weekend, and since the late 1800s, we've officially set aside a day to acknowledge the role that organized labor played in assuring that laborers receive a livable wage. Yet, in spite of better working conditions and higher wages, many still find their income doesn't quite meet their expenses. As a result, most of us are living on borrowed time in more ways than one. We're living today on what we expect to make tomorrow. And unless you have enough in the bank to cover what you're paying for with a credit card, that's exactly what you're doing. But even if you've taken Dave Ramsey's advice and don't use a credit card at all, most of us still understand what it means to be under financial obligation. We owe money to someone for something. But is it right for a Christian to be in debt? Some would say no. And admittedly, there is a danger of being so deeply obligated financially that you have little freedom to respond to the needs of others. You don't feel free to give above your tithe. You don't feel free to turn down opportunities to work overtime or take time off to spend time with family or to minister to someone's need. But is it wrong to be in debt? Do we have a definitive word in Scripture? Well, some would say yes. In fact, Romans 13.8 has been quoted as proof that we should never be in debt. And it does sound like it. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. But then again, the Bible speaks often of lending and borrowing and entering into contracts as if it were a legitimate practice, one that God's people have participated in throughout the ages. So while Proverbs does warn us that the borrower becomes the lender's slave, we aren't prohibited from borrowing. We aren't prohibited from entering into a contract with someone to begin using their goods or utilizing their services before it is fully paid for, agreeing to pay for it over a mutually acceptable period of time. And it might be argued that technically you really aren't in debt. At least you wouldn't have been thrown into debtor's prison until you failed to meet your obligations. If you miss a payment or deliberately contract for more than you can pay back, you are in debt in the fullest sense of the word. You're then living on someone else's money without their permission. And that is simply a glorified form of stealing and is definitely prohibited. Well, we could discuss the ethics of economics all day and not resolve all the questions And quite frankly, much in this area is not spelled out in Scripture. We're left up to our own good sense and judgment for most of it. And Paul's purpose for making the statement, 
owe nothing to anyone really wasn't to introduce a treatise on economics. His purpose was to introduce us to a debt we all have and one that we can never fully repay, the debt of love. So that's the debt we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to look at its obligation, due date, and the means of payment. We begin with the obligation, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore is the fulfillment of the law. In the first chapter of Romans, Paul wrote, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul felt that he was a debtor to every man. He felt an obligation to share with everyone what he had found in Christ. And he certainly felt that he had received far more love than he deserved. So he had a debt of love. And he felt obligated to pay it. But how do we do that? How do you pay back a debt of love? Do you just try to feel loving toward everyone? I don't think so. As we've said before, love, agape love, the kind we're commanded to have for one another, isn't feeling. It's action. It's doing the loving thing and not doing the unloving thing. And God has spelled out for us what love won't do. He called them commandments. Now, some of the commandments make clear what love won't do to God. It won't put him in second place. It won't substitute idols for the real thing. It won't take his name in vain. And some of the commandments spell out what love won't do to others. It won't violate the sanctity of marriage. It won't murder. It won't steal. It won't even want what someone else has. It'll be glad they have it. Therefore, Paul says, he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law, for love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, it doesn't replace the law. We still need to know what is and what isn't loving behavior, and the law tells us that. But we fulfill the law not through cold, indifferent obedience to a code carved in stone, but through love. By experiencing the love of God and then feeling obligated to share that love with others. So we do no wrong to a neighbor. But love doesn't stop there. And neither does the law. In Leviticus 19.18, God said, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, that's not a command to love yourself. We do that instinctively. It's simply a broadening of love beyond doing no wrong to doing good. You know, we don't just avoid harming ourselves. We do good things for ourselves. And Jesus certainly had that in mind when he said, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So we are under obligation to do no wrong to others and to do good to them. To show love to them in the same practical, positive, and even creative ways God has shown love to us. That is our debt of love. And like all debts, that one has a due date. Let's see when this one has to be paid. Verse 11, the first part of 12. And this do, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. And this do. Now is the time to love. It isn't something we can put off. And this do, knowing the time. What time is it? Paul indicates it's the last hour. If we don't love today, we may not get the chance. The night is almost gone. And the day is at hand. Again, what day? The day of Jesus' return. Our opportunities are limited because these are the last days. Now, That's not premillennial talk. That's biblical talk. We've been in the last days since Jesus ascended into heaven. Paul expected Jesus to come back at any time, and he wasn't deceived in that expectation, even though Jesus has tarried close to 2,000 years. In fact, Jesus never said when he was coming back. He simply told us to be ready all the time. He didn't want us to know the hour of his return. He just wanted us to live every moment expectantly. And since we've been commanded to love, we better do it and do it now. We must meet our obligation today because we don't know when the master will return. Jesus' parable of the faithful servant shows us just how important this is. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and she began to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, 
and at an hour which he does not know, and shall cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Weeping shall be there and the gnashing of teeth. Jesus said that. I have a friend at Fit Club who heard a passage of scripture about Jesus bringing judgment upon the world and dividing households. He didn't quite understand it, and I tried to explain it to him, and he says, it just doesn't sound (laughs) Christ-like. I thought, how funny. How easy it is for us to take something Jesus said and say, well, that just doesn't sound Christ-like. He speaks of judgment. He warns us to be ready. We've been given the responsibility to love, to share with others the same kind of love we've received from our Lord, and he's going to hold us accountable for it when he returns. And one thing should be obvious, Jesus' second coming is closer today than it's ever been before. Paul said salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. He's talking about Jesus' return and the full salvation of body and soul we anticipate when our Lord returns. That day is nearer now than ever before. And don't kid yourself. Christ doesn't have to wait for anything. All things are ready. The stage is set. He could come today. And in addition to that, we may die before he returns. Or the one to whom we need to express love may die. So we better do it now. You know, the people who have the hardest time at a funeral are those who failed to express love adequately to the departed before the funeral. We don't know when we'll be called home or when Jesus will return. So we better stay current with our debt of love. How would you treat your husband or your wife today if you knew they'd be gone tomorrow? How would you treat your kids or your neighbor or the one sitting next to you today if you knew they'd be gone tomorrow? Or you'd be gone? Or Jesus would return? Don't let death catch you with an outstanding debt of love. Keep current. You'll never get it paid off, but you can keep current. So what's the means of payment? Let's read on. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You know, it's one thing to feel obligated to pay back a debt and to even want to do it on time. It's quite another thing to have the resources necessary to pay it back. And obviously, if we have squandered what we have, I almost changed that word. I was afraid the kids would know how to spell it. But we find it in the story of prodigal son. It means to misuse and to misuse it in some ridiculous ways. Spending what you have for things that are not only unneeded, but things that defile you. Things that work against God's desire for you. So if we're squandering what we do have, there will never be enough to pay back what we owe. So we must control our spending before we can address our debt. That's why Paul told us to lay aside the deeds of darkness. You'll never be able to pay back your debt of love if you're spending your time and your emotional energies in carousing and drunkenness, in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, in strife and jealousy. Those things have to go. We can't be caught up in the selfish pursuits of pleasure and put others first at the same time. So we have to make some cuts in spending if we're going to pay our debts. But even that's not enough. If we don't have a steady income, all the cuts in the world won't enable us to pay our bills. So Paul says, we not only lay aside the deeds of darkness and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts, but we put on the armor of light. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we're going to be able to love as we've been loved is to let the Lord Jesus love others through us. The only way we're going to be covered to pay back our debt is to be covered with the person of Christ. So we put him on as we would a suit of clothing, and we do so every morning before we begin the day. We put Christ on. Stand in the mirror if you need to and see if Christ is being reflected in your eyes, in your heart, in your face. We've got to put him on. That's the only way we'll have the resources needed to meet the obligation to love everyone that we meet that day. 
It's not easy. That's why we put on Christ every day. We have a debt of love to pay. And the only way we can meet it is to fill our heart with the love of Christ and then let him be seen in everything we do. So what about you this morning? Are you actively seeking to repay the debt of love? I hope so. And if you're not, I pray that you'll look again at the love that was shown on Calvary and realize just how great is the debt of love that you owe. If you need to have your heart cleansed and filled with the love of Christ, I invite you to come. If you need to clothe yourself with Christ in Christian baptism, I invite you to come. If you need to commit yourself to a body of believers who are diligently seeking to repay the debt of love, I invite you to come. To come as we stand and sing.